Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis. We we will start with chapter 43 today. But as we get into chapter 43 of the book of Genesis, we really can't do that well if we don't look back into some of the verses we talked about yesterday evening. Remember, you can never study the Bible without looking into its context, without appreciating the context from which the verses come from. And by that, I mean the preceding verse and how that preceding verse is best understood in light of its preceding verse and so on and so forth. So what we're after here on Seeds of Truth, especially in our study on the book of Genesis, is finding the deeper meaning of the text in the light of the context, finding the deeper meaning of the text in light of the preceding verse and chapter, because otherwise, I think our interpretation would be impoverished, and we don't want our interpretation on the book of Genesis to be impoverished. We, we set out to do the best we can uh, with the grace and help of the Holy Spirit, and as we do, we call upon the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit might guide our study. So, let us invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Come, Holy Spirit, come to the most powerful intercession of the triune God that we may come to know the deeper truths of sacred scripture. Brothers and sisters, chapter 43 has a very important lesson for all of us, a very important lesson. And maybe it's a lesson on what not to do or how not to lead, but an important lesson nonetheless. (laughs) And certainly with the figure of Judah, maybe we have a figure who can teach us something about how to love. This I think, my friends, is what this evening will take up. Okay, so with that, if you want to turn your Bibles to chapter 43, here we are really in this last stretch of our study on the book of Genesis. And this last stretch, yeah, will still take probably a couple of months, but we have been at this now for almost 10 months, and so we are kind of on that last leg, if you will, in our treatment of the figure of Joseph. All right, chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain which they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him... We will not go down, for the man said to us, You shall not see my face, unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so ill as to tell me the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully, carefully. Now, (laughs) was Joseph wanting a proof of life? Brothers and sisters, yeah, maybe, but moreover, Joseph wanted to reunite his family. Again, we talked about this not only yesterday, but we've been harping upon this over the past few weeks. While there might be a testing of 
his brothers. In the end, the end game for Joseph as a man of justice, as a man of righteousness, as a man of holiness, is to reunite the twelve. So Joseph questions his brothers carefully, as again, remember, they don't recognize him. The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? I mean, here they're thinking to themselves, How does he know this? How can he speak this way? Verse 8, And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will rise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not delayed... We would now have returned twice. Wow, Judah's pushing back here, huh? But as he is, he's also vowing. Vowing to take personal responsibility for Benjamin's welfare on the trip. You know, as a living guarantor, the Ignatius Catholic Commentary highlights this. (laughs) Judah volunteers to sacrifice himself for the sake of the youngest brother and to bear the consequences of non-fulfillment should anything go wrong to his younger brother. Brothers and sisters, this is what you call neighborly love. We've said it so many times, this call we have to love, love defined as to will the good of other for the sake of other without any expectation for anything in return. To will the good of the other. This is merciful love. Merciful love because in the end, my friends, When you talk about willing the good of the other, when you become an absolute sacrifice for that willing the good of the other, that, my friends, is merciful love because merciful love defines holy love. And remember, the word sacrifice comes from the Latin sacrum fice, to make holy, to make holy. Anytime sacrifice is the heart of willing the good of the other, and and often it is, right? (laughs) Can it be otherwise? That is merciful love. When you put yourself second all the time, and this is what Judah is doing. And be rest assured, my friends, it is not a coincidence that we have that phrase, the line of the tribe of Judah. Yes, it's tied to our Lord's chronology, his pedigree, but he could have just as well... (laughs) and the line of the tribe of Israel, if Israel had been the man that he was called to be. We'll talk further about that here in a little bit. All right, so we give a nod to Judah's great faith, this merciful act of love. Number 11, verse 11, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, Then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry down to the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, a little gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. I I love that. Brothers and sisters, let us just hit the pause button there. I love that. What are you talking about, Joe? You, You just read about food. What's the big deal? You know, for so many of us, we think of sacred scripture as something in the abstract. 
a book that belongs to another age. And if you really spend time with it, sometimes you just come across these verses that remind you of the real earthiness, literally speaking, (laughs) practical aspects to sacred scripture. That from time to time, when you pick up sacred scripture in its historical narrative, you see that there's many things about sacred scripture that aren't so different today. And maybe this is hitting home with me right now because in Chico, California, they're harvesting pistachio nuts, almonds, right? So here you have Israel saying, carry with you a little balm, a little honey. I had honey on my bread this morning, right? A little gum, some myrrh, pistachio nuts, almonds. Is sacred scripture so distant from us? It shouldn't be. Verse 12 Take double the money with you, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. (laughs) I love that. Verse 13, take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man that he may send back your older brother and Benjamin. He goes on, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now, let me just first say this. I find it fascinating that if you were to go to the New Testament, when the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews speaks of the patriarchs in the hall of faith of chapter 11, he has only these words concerning Jacob. If you were to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, we read, By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff, right? Because he was of old age. He was tired. I mean, this is striking, my friends, because the only example of faith which the writer finds worthy of mention is an event in the flickering years of his life. I mean, if you were to go to chapter 11, we read about the heroic example of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. We We read about the extended heroism of Abraham and Moses. A great number of verses in chapter 11 are attributed to those great figures, the real fathers of faith. And to Jacob, Israel, the father of the great tribes of Israel, another seven, eight verses, no, but nothing more than a head nod in the twilight of his life. Again, we don't read of the Lion of Israel, but the Lion of Judah. It is no wonder It's so fascinating sometimes that when you go to read sacred scripture carefully, what you find maybe isn't what you would expect. And maybe that's tied to how we grew up with understanding certain figures. Jacob, Israel, I mean, he he wrestled with the nameless angel, right? And certainly he has an important place in salvation history. But I tell you something, we have a clue in Hebrews chapter 11, that might say something, and and that might be tied to his lack of faith. Because more topically speaking, as we engage these first 15 verses, we might heed the, the lessons learned from the lack of leadership of Jacob. I mean, in the initial return of his sons, we read this response from Jacob in chapter 42. Again, I said we would go back into chapter 42 so as to better understand chapter 43, right? Well, here you go. Verses 19 to 20. If you are honest men, 
Let one of your brothers be confined in our prison. But as for the rest of you, go. Carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you will not die. And so they do so, right? In his first response, Jacob puts off. He delays in taking action until the matter had reached crisis proportions. So Joseph had made an agreement with his brothers that they would take the desperately needed grain home and then return with Benjamin. In chapter 40, 32, verse 38, essentially this is what we read. So not until their grain had virtually run out did Jacob face up to the matter. Now we read in chapter 43, verse 1, that the famine was severe in the land. So it comes about when that they had finished eating the grain, which they had brought from Egypt, the father saying to them, go back, (laughs) buy us a little food. So Judah puts his finger on Jacob's procrastination when he said what in verse 10? He chides Israel. He chides his father. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. I mean, think about that. Father, you procrastinated. And if we didn't procrastinate, we could have returned twice by now. You know, today we have a tendency to embellish. We have a tendency to exaggerate in this context in saying something like, if you did, as I told you to do, we could have flown across the country and back twice, essentially <laughs> highlighting that you wasted time. And if you and if you did what I told you to do, we wouldn't be in this pickle now. Judah stepping forward as a man of God and challenging his father. And we have to be okay with this because something called integrity was involved. And when integrity is involved, we have to step forward. Mea culpa. Mea culpa. Lord knows we we can all step forward better. So, if the first principle of Jacob's leadership, or lack thereof, was to delay, procrastinate, put it off, then the second was either disregard it or play it down. You know, one of the ways we can put things off is by convincing ourselves that they are not really all that important. And maybe we might say something like, if you knew better... You wouldn't be questioning the way you're questioning me now. Because in your own mind, you're thinking, really? It's not that important. But of course, in this case, it is. You see, my friends, Jacob minimized this matter of the famine. Jacob minimized Simeon's captivity and the inevitable fact that all his sons would have to return to Egypt. I mean, what did we read in verse 2? Go back. Buy us a little food. (laughs) Go back. Buy us a little food. It's not that big of a deal. Just go back and buy us a little more. Really, Israel? I mean, really? Come on. I mean, why would he possibly tell his sons to buy only a little food? Why would they not buy all the grain they could possibly carry? Come on. There's a famine, right? I suppose he didn't know that the famine was going to last another five years. But was he not aware of the severity of the famine? Sure he was. What did we just read in chapter 43, verse 1? So, rather than face the problem head on, Jacob wanted to dabble with it uh, a little bit here, a little bit there. One piece at a time. Or, or maybe better said, one grain at a time. Oh, I mean, 
What we are talking about is the absolute failure of Jacob's leadership, of Israel's leadership. I think this is why he only gets a nod in the twilight of his life in Hebrews chapter 11. More than anything, my friends, Jacob, Israel, probably hope that if only a little grain were sought, perhaps the governor, perhaps Joseph would not hold to his original demand that Benjamin accompany his brothers on their next trip. This is what's closest to his heart, right? But Judah spoke, saying, The man solemnly warned us. The man said, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. The man being Joseph, the man, all he wants probably is to see his family reunited again says, if you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. I mean, Judah is saying to his dad, come on, for the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And I think, and, and others agree here, that Jacob was shaken by the stand which his sons took. And yet he was still still not willing to succumb to their demands that easily. The man who procrastinated, the, the man who played it down, was not willing to succumb. Because the next verses in verses 6 to 7 that we read, I think display a further attempt to deny reality and to, and to defer sending Benjamin to Egypt. This is another problem of putting things off. This is another problem of delaying. It's denying reality. We have to confront reality. And as a faithful Catholic right now, by the grace of God, go I. I say to the church, face reality. The Catholic church right now is going through a purgation. I'm on air here in the studio, September 11th, 2018. And the Catholic church and all churches need to confront this poisonous, poisonous sin that is all of this sexual promiscuity. If we put off, if we delay, only more damage will be done. It must happen now. I think we have a real lesson, a real lesson, my friends, here this evening with these verses. It is my hope that the bishops and Pope Francis heed this deep truth to stop putting off, to stop delaying, to stop denying reality and see things for what they are. The church, of course, is the church that Christ established. We know that from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. It has withstood the test of time. And as Jesus says, I will be with you always. It doesn't mean that <laughs> the church is impenetrable to, to sin. It must confront this reality. And so I don't mean to go off on a soapbox here, but I can't help but be touched by this truth as we're looking at Israel and Judah. Because right now there are some bishops in the Catholic Church who are rising up like the Judah of yesteryear and saying, stop denying reality, confront this. And so this is my hope and my prayer. All right, for Jacob's concern, he's hoping to alter the course of history by seeking to change the minds of his sons by placing the responsibility for their circumstances solely on them. In effect, Jacob said to his sons, it's all your fault. 
None of this would have happened if you hadn't told the Egyptian about your youngest brother. Here again, he's not taking responsibility at all costs. And in all circumstances, he's putting it off. I mean, if it were all their fault, then why in the world should they be belligerent about trying to solve the matter on their own without jeopardizing the life of Benjamin and the happiness of their father? But you and I both know, my friends, it was a matter of being truthful. As we read in verse 7, the information they gave to Joseph really was in response to very direct questioning. Now, the reason for this directness would only be learned at a later time, right when Joseph disclosed his identity. Jacob then was, of course, rebuking his sons for telling the truth. The old ways of deception were still there. And in times of adversity, Jacob did not hesitate to employ them. I mean, Jacob's response might be summarized something like, why didn't you do as I would have done? Lie about it. So while Reuben's efforts to persuade his father to let Benjamin return to Egypt with the others had been resisted, it's worth noting Judah here begins to emerge as the leader in the family. We kind of already talked about the real importance of seeing Reuben and Judah as leaders of the 12. I mean, in the end, my friends, in chapter 43, verses 8 to 10, we see that Judah's words really did encourage Jacob to make that painful decision to let Benjamin go, right? Send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. I love that. I really do. You may hold me responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. <laughs> so Reuben promised to assume full responsibility for the safety of Benjamin and offered his own two sons if he were to fail. That's what we read in chapter 42, verse 37, right? You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you, but, but uh, put him in my care and I will return him to you. At that point in time, Jacob had no intention of letting go of his favorite son. Judah's offer is once more forcefully made. He urges his father to stop thinking of himself and to act in accordance with his responsibility for the entire clan. Jacob spoke of the I, the me, and the my. Judah thought in terms of the we and the us and the are. Judah is speaking for all his brothers in refusing to go again to Egypt without Benjamin. And at the same time rebukes Jacob for what? But for his needless delay in sending Benjamin to Egypt. Whereas Reuben offered only his sons in return for his failure, Judah offers himself as the guarantee of a successful mission. Isn't that interesting? Yes, Reuben was willing to make a gift of his sons, but Judah goes one step further. Judah offers to make a gift of himself. And it was probably the combination of all these forces the severity of the famine, the depletion of the Egyptian grain, the threat of the brothers not to return to Egypt without Benjamin, and certainly 
the assurance of Judah, which persuaded Jacob to consent to release Benjamin for the journey of Egypt, that led to the verses we read in 11 to 12. If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present what we talked about, right? The balm, the honey, the gum, the myrrh, the pistachio nuts. I love that. The almonds. And take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was guaranteed in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. In addition to bringing these gifts, Jacob instructed his sons to take both the money they had found in their sacks and the additional money to buy a new supply of grain. And they were to give this double amount to the governor. Perhaps the, the money was misplaced in their sacks and the returning it would be further evidence of their honesty. Whatever Jacob's motivation was, what we know, my friends, from these 15 verses is that there was a failure of leadership and that one of his sons, Judah, stepped forward. Like that of Reuben, yes, but even in a greater manner, right? Because he was willing to give his very self as a gift. And so the end lesson here is that, yeah, you know, we live in times of great strife, great suffering, great confusion, maybe a lack of leadership here or there, or at the very least, today we might be suffering from the consequences of a lack of leadership, not only within the church, but outside the church. We have to be looking at this from a different vantage point. How can we ourselves become a gift to this in its proper Christian context? And by that, I mean a gift of sacrifice. We can point the finger and say, this is wrong and that is wrong, solving all of the world's problems in our uh, talk over coffee. But how are we offering ourselves to the situation today, to the situation we find ourselves in today? This, I believe, is an important question and a question I leave with you this evening. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the real gift to just be able to reflect with the richness and beauty of your word as it has many lessons to teach us. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.